One guy's seen it, the other guy hasn't. First guy's gonna tell the second guy all about it. While they both get drunk. All right, welcome to yet another episode of One Guy's Seen It, the only podcast where one guy has seen the movie, the other guy has not seen the movie, and the first guy is going to try to convince the second guy to see the movie, and if he succeeds, they'll take a break, watch the movie, come back, nerd out about the movie, and decide how many beers you need to enjoy the movie, all while getting progressively more inebriated themselves, because that is what they choose to do with their sentience. But without any further ado, or rigmarole, or hoopla, or ballyhoo, let's get into it. Sumner, give me the skinny. Uh, I'm just thinking about uh, AI and death and cultural genocide right now. <laughs> yeah, now that's a fucking skinny. <laughs> yeah, that was my friend. That is a skinny. I was building it up for like 15 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of the perfect. Yeah, one. for all of our listeners out there, we've been we've been talking all morning about uh, whether or not we should pay one of these AI voice acting services to replace us here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we just um, we just sit back and rake in the money. <laughs> the, yeah, the what pennies. was what was what was that site we were just on? It was called Replica, and there was a guy named Vinny with a New York accent. Oh, yeah. I think he'd be good to replace you. This is every background character of The Sopranos? Hey, over there, they got the submarine sandwiches. Submarine sandwiches. <laughs> God, so good. Well, yeah. here we are on yet, yet another. another week on Earth the spinning around the sun and yet another movie that you have seen that I have not seen. Yeah. And I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to see something, man. What do you got for me today? Well, um I was um I was sad when you uh we were talking yesterday um and you told me that you had never seen The Big Lebowski and then you watched it without me, so we couldn't do it on the podcast. I did. So I was very I was very upset with you for a moment, but I've recovered and um I was gonna throw another Coen Brothers movie at you because you would uh you mentioned it. Ooh, very excited, very happy times. Yes, because <laughs> you were saying how much you like the dialogue and um, the Big Lebowski and uh, just just their style. I think you were talking about yesterday. Yes, I mean every 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 Coen Brothers movie that I've seen, I've I've absolutely fallen in love with, and I know I'm in the the majority, but it's hard. How can you not <laughs> join the join the club? You're on the dark side. Yeah, now. join the fucking club, right? <laughs> yeah, they they have got some they got some great ones out there, and um, you know, like early on in their career, they had um, Raising Arizona, which is like one of their dark horse movies. Uh, that's not what I'm doing today, because I'm pretty sure you've seen that one at some point. I have, love it. Yeah, so um, uh, I don't know if I gave. I don't think I gave too much away. Uh, so I'll, I'll try and see if you can get. I don't think you'll be able to, but we'll we'll see if this is burrowed in your brain somewhere. You still there? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, so this came out in 1990. So this is right after Raising Arizona. This is the next movie they wanted to do. Um, it's starring Gabriel Byrne, um, Albert Finney, and John Turturro. Who was in um? Who was uh, Jesus in uh, in the Big Lebowski? The Pederast. Ah, oh, fuck! I feel like I know what this is, but I don't. I don't know what this is. <laughs> okay, so um, the plot uh, from IMDb is uh, Tom Reagan is a, an advisor to a Prohibition era crime boss, tries to keep the peace between warring mobs, but gets caught in the caught in divided loyalties. This is the plot synopsis. 
Ooh, this sounds right up my ass. Yeah. It was yeah, when you mentioned the Big Lebowski, I'm like, oh that would be this one that I'm picking is would be a good one. Uh yeah, I got nothing. Okay, hit me with a name. Uh, it's called Miller's Crossing. And uh yeah, but one of their Mil- early never heard of somehow never heard of it. Yeah, it's um it's kind of obscure in their um their filmography. Well, I, I say obscure, but it was like one of their early like movies that like showed them like as like they arrived as directors in that moment and then they did uh okay barton fink the next year which uh interestingly they they wrote this movie that would end up winning the palm door at Cannes, which is like the big prestigious film filmmaker yes yes we discussed it the (laughs) fancy happy prize yeah um so they won that the next year with uh this movie barton fink which they wrote in the middle of making miller's crossing when they got writer's block (laughs) Wow. Yeah, they were stuck on I just right in the middle and they didn't know what to do, so they wrote Barton Fink, which is about a writer in early Hollywood struggling with writer's block, which is also another really good movie. Man, that's fucking crazy. You got to you got to love that story. How could you not love that story? Yeah. Yeah, and they're just Yeah, they're they're the this is one of my favorite personal favorite movies of theirs. Um uh I've become more of a fan of it over time, but um I I'd watch it when I was a kid and I was like there was um there was so much going on at once I almost didn't know, but now I've I've seen it a bunch and it's just there's so many great lines of dialogue and so many uh, Coen Brothers just essential Coen Brothers scenes and it. it's just it's it's awesome I love it. Fuck yeah! Well, before we hop in, is there any any trivia or anything that you can? Well, wait, wait, wait. We got to back up. <laughs> oh, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking another Sapporo. I'm going to change it next week because I've drinking Sapporo like four weeks in a row. You're going to turn into a Sapporo. Hey, there's nothing wrong with Sapporo, though. That's I mean, that's a great it's beer. It's a quality beer. It's a quality beer. If it makes you if it makes you feel any better, I'm drinking Miller High Life, the champagne hey, of beers. Hey, we're basically drinking the same um, thing, I feel like. Basically drinking the same thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, it's it's funny, too. It's crazy how a, like a, t- a taste or a smell can take you back Uh more than anything else so when kaylee you know kaylee and i've been together for seven years now it'll be seven years in january and congratulations the first oh god don't (laughs) remind me i've been there the first time that we ever hung out at her apartment in san marcus i think i picked up a 12 pack of miller high life Mm -hmm. and at the time it was really just because i was so broke and it was the cheapest beer at the gas station next to her apartment (laughs) But then it kind of turned into this tradition that, like, we literally, the first, like, five or six times we hung out, we drank Miller High Life together. Yeah. And then went on, like, a six-year stretch of not touching it again. It's like we just got completely burnt out on it. Yeah. And I saw I saw a 12-pack at the back of the fridge the other day at HEB, and I was like, I'm going to freak her out with this. <laughs> and it's crazy, man. The first sip, like, I was back in her apartment yeah. seven years ago. It's oh. so bizarre. That's a great feeling, like just being transported in that moment it's like kind of like a like a mildly euphoric like oh this is just nostalgia is a powerful drug i'm just gonna say that it really is it really is it is a drug that powers powers the masses you know it informs so many of our decisions that it probably should yeah yeah and i it's funny too because when when you started getting to miller high life because i was i was there we were just started living together at the time that you and kaylee got together i think and, uh, yeah, that's crazy, man. And uh, I was underage at the time, so I could only get booze from you. <laughs> so you would 
whenever you would come home and you're like, I got Miller High Life, I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> Such a great day. <laughs> and then we drank 12 of them and then pass out and it was great times. Love college. Yeah, it's it's when you talk bang for your buck, man, you just can't beat it. 10 bucks for a 12 pack, they're like 4.6%. Mm-hmm. They taste good. The bottles look cool. You get to say you're drinking the champagne of beers. I mean, I don't know what else you, you'd want from a beer drinking experience. I remember we um we had we had Corbin over for the weekend. He came to visit us, my cousin. Um, and we had bought so much Miller High Life that we filled up our entire trash bag full of Miller High Life. And in a uh, ill-advised moment, we had a trash chute on the top floor of our apartment complex. And it was filled to the brim <laughs> with Miller High Life I bottles. Remember this. And like assholes, we just threw it down there, <laughs> and it exploded Dude, I, everywhere. Corbin, I think I think Corbin still has a video of that. And if we oh, can it's, find it's on my it, Instagram I want, still. I think. <laughs> are you serious? Because yeah. I want to download it. I want to because I I could download the video from your Instagram. And I want to put that sound effect in our <laughs> podcast. I, I think you even say afterwards, you're like, I feel so bad. <laughs> Dude, I remember it just being earth-shatteringly loud. It was I mean, so loud. And it was heavy as fuck, too. So we were just like, uh, we'll just throw it down the chute, I think. I mean, we were on the third floor. So that shit, God, we were assholes. That shit yeah. fell three stories. Yeah, and we weren't even in like, a, I mean, like there were younger kids, but they weren't, it wasn't so much of a party apartment. So like that was kind of a dick thing to do. Yeah, look, if it makes you feel any better, my my freshman year, and he'll he'll kill me if he ever listens to this, but my <laughs> freshman year at UT, we lived, uh, me and my roommate lived on a corner corner balcony. Uh, I think we were on like the 14th floor of this dorm, and uh, off campus dorm, and there was a sorority, like basically oh, like well, on I've the corner the of the street below us. Yeah. Have you have, have I told you this story? Yeah, but I, I no, this motherfucker. Yeah, so I came home from class, and Evan, my roommate, had bought... I shouldn't even have used his name. <laughs> uh, had bought all this fruit, like like these like mini watermelons and bananas and apples and shit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, dude, he's like, I've got a plan for tonight. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this dude was going out on our balcony, and I'll never forget it. It was like watching a movie. Like, he threw... Uh, like a, a small, a relatively small watermelon when you consider how big watermelons usually are. Yeah. And the it was the first piece of fruit that he threw off the balcony. <laughs> and uh, I mean, when I say that this sorority was like right next door to the apartment building, I mean, you could literally see the backyard of the sorority from, from our balcony. Yeah. And he threw this shit and it hit a trampoline in their in their uh in their backyard <laughs> and and i remember when i was seeing it go for the when i was seeing it head toward the trampoline my first thought was oh this is going to be so awesome like it's going to hit the trampoline and it's going to bounce at some insane no dude you're i'm an idiot like i i must have failed intro to physics because like <laughs> it doesn't matter what surface it's hitting from that far away mm-hmm. that shit exploded it like i can't i just can't even describe what it looked like mm-hmm. And there were people out there that had no idea what the fuck happened. Like, I remember seeing a huge chunk of it fly and hit, like, the screen glass door that they had. And, like, all these people came outside and were looking around like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
because from from their angle, I remember them looking around. Like, there's no way they could have. There's no way they could have guessed that it came from our balcony. Yeah, there were too many because points. Because if you were of... down there, I, yeah, there were too many possible points of of entrance. Like, I remember like a day later walking on the street down there. And imagining that happening to me and looking around, I was like, I would never imagine that it came from our balcony. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, so it was a great story. And it, it took like years later before I realized, holy shit, man, like he could have fucking killed somebody yeah. so easily. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that's we're talking 14 floors, like bad news, man. Yeah. Bad news. Did I ever tell you the time I almost died at University Towers? No, but I'm sure there were more than one <laughs> there, near death experience. There were a couple of um moments, but I I, I had a um I lived at um this notorious party um uh, apartment complex in my first year of college and um and uh people threw shit off of the balcony all the time just to just for fun. And like every day you would come out of the um to the uh, elevators, people had ripped off the uh, cover of those fluorescent lights and punched the fluorescent lights and glass just shattered everywhere. Like people were monsters. Just why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It was. It was insane. Like people were literally insane. It's. It's. Ex- they blew it up now, so it doesn't exist anymore, thankfully. But <laughs> it's. Um, oh yeah, I forgot I got demoed. Yeah, but um, I was outside and my mom was with me and I was packing up my car to go home for like the summer maybe, and some dude from i don't know how far up through a printer down and it landed maybe five feet away from me and it scared the fuck out of me it was so loud and i was like i looked at it for a second i was like i almost fucking died (laughs) like it was dude it's like at that point i mean you could you could fucking like you could sue you know that's that's like borderline assault yeah and i think in that moment i was so used to it i was just like let's get the fuck out of here (laughs) Like yeah. I just Take didn't the money care, but I mean, like that was the thing that happened all the time. Like people just throw shit out of their balcony. Like some girl threw all her boyfriend's like clothes out one day because you know cheated or I don't know did something something bad. Yeah, I mean, dude, and towers, like you said, I, I remember towers being notorious for people throwing shit. Like I remember my drummer at the time. Uh, I guess this was a year or two before you got there. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he was living at towers, and he, I was in his apartment with him when. His roommates, threw, it was during rush, and there were like, you know, all the sororities are right around there. It's West Campus. Yeah. And there was this massive group of like, it had to be a hundred girls walking down the sidewalk, all wearing white dresses, oh, no. heading to rush. <laughs> no. And this fucker had clearly planned this out. He had a, a fucking bucket of, of, of burnt orange paint, <laughs> and he fucking just don't. I mean, I think they were maybe on the sixth or seventh floor. Yeah. Oh, that would hurt. Like, hell. That's what I'm saying. Like, it hit these girls, and, like, it it probably covered 20 or so of them. Damn. Just completely covered them head to toe in pain. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, they're freaking out. Like, all the guys that are walking down the street are cracking up. Mm -hmm. Like, the girls in the back that didn't get hit are are just, like, mouths agape. But it's like, my first thought was, like, holy shit, dude. Like, that would be really painful. Yeah. That's, that's... That's a long way for that paint to fall. And it smells and bad and you just ruin their night for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, just fucking ruining. And, and dude, I mean, the, these girls that are rushing, like, that's their entire life. They're going through hell like, already. They've, <laughs> just rushing in general. They're already going through hell and you're fucking making it worse. Yeah, good riddance to University Towers. Yeah, it that was. That place needed to be torn down. It was every cliche thing you can think about college was 
encapsulated in that place. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm bummed that there's no there's no like Netflix documentary about it because yeah, I would have totally made one missed opportunity there. God, yeah, there's some crazy shit. Like there was one day somebody lit their um their room on fire and the <laughs> and the sprinklers. The place was like 50 years old, so the sprinklers went and they wouldn't stop. So they had to evacuate everybody out, and it flooded like the seventh floor all the way down to the first floor. Like everybody's rooms were flooded. Jesus Christ! And I lived on the ninth. I lived on the top floor, so I got lucky. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to talk yeah. about old good, college good stories. Riddance. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go watch this fucking movie. What was it called again? I already uh, forgot. Miller's Crossing. So I'll give you a little uh, little bits of trivia, and then we'll we'll go. Okay. Um. So this is the first collaboration between the Coen Brothers and Steve Buscemi. Which ended up being a big thing. Oh, nice! And they uh, they hired him for the role of uh, this guy Mink, uh, who you'll <laughs> learn about in a minute. He was um, they only hired him because he could speak fa- the lines faster than anybody else could. Is he going full Nucky Thompson in this? Uh, yeah, it's definitely that. It's interesting you say that because yeah, it's um, it's definitely like a prelude to what uh, um, Boardwalk Empire would be, <laughs> or just the fact that he was in a cool prohibition movie beforehand nice and then um oh our good friend sam raimi has a cameo in it for a minute very cool right off of the heels of uh evil dead 2 which is interesting because i think uh joel cohen and sam raimi lived together with holly hunter around that time which is like a crazy oh that's pretty nutty yeah and then um yeah it takes place in 1929 and then uh the cohen brothers turned down a chance to direct batman to make this movie and it ended up going to Tim Burton instead. Whoa. Yeah, but they were like, hey, Coen Brothers, you want to direct a Batman movie? They should have done it, man. Missed opportunity. Yeah, that would have been that would have been so weird though. It's just like they, they didn't know how weird the Coen Brothers were gonna get either, so they were just like, Oh, it seems like it makes sense. Raising Arizona seems like a fun movie. But is But isn't isn't the Tim Burton Batman like universally hated? No, no, they uh, I think his version is is pretty well loved. It's the um, Joel Schumacher, uh, George Clooney one that's hated. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, which is, got it. For good reason, it's fucking terrible. But <laughs> equipped with bat nipples. Yeah, see, I'm not the I'm not the guy who's. Uh, oh God, <laughs> I'm not the guy who's seen it. So <laughs> we sh- there's no way I would know. We should just watch that one as a goof because it's hilariously bad. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, look, I'm I'm beyond stoked to watch. The Return of Nucky Thompson yeah. prior to Nucky Thompson. Yeah, it was one of my favorite movies, so I'm, I'm yeah, I'm really excited to do this one. Fuck yeah. Well, um oh yeah, sorry, more tr- more trivia. Was there something else you wanted no, to no, throw that's at? It. Yeah, that's all throw I got. at the bank? Yeah, that's all I got. Hell yeah. Well, you have made the horrible mistake of listening to one guy <laughs> seen it. When you hear that trumpet sound, hashtag respect the trumpet. We're coming back with spoilers. We're coming back with rigmarole and hoopla and ballyhoo. <laughs> we'll be back. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're back. <laughs> We're back. All right, so let me see if I've got the rumpus straight here. <laughs> all right, so... All right, so so Bernie's boning Casper. Casper's boning Leo, but Leo's trying to bone Casper. Now, Casper <laughs> wants to bone Tom for trying to bone him, while Verna's mm-hmm. boning everybody just to keep Bernie from getting boned. <laughs> But Tom's boning Verna, 
and by doing so also secretly boning Leo, while the cops and city <laughs> officials are also secretly trying to bone Leo. But Tom's mm -hmm. boning Eddie Dane and Mink by proxy. But then Bernie tries to bone <laughs> Tom by making him bone Casper. And then Eddie Dane tries to bone Tom by taking him to Miller's Crossing. <laughs> Turns out Tom's convinced Casper to bone the Dane and together they're going to bone Mink. But Mink's already been boned. So Tom tries to bone <laughs> Bernie for trying to bone him. But Bernie ends up boning Casper, which frees up Tom to bone Bernie, which in turn bones Verna. In turn, boning himself. So in the end, it's just one big bonorama. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's everything I, you need to know. Do I've got? Do I got the rumpus right? You got the rumpus. Yeah, yeah. First go around, you got it all. Got it all down. <laughs> uh, I had so much fun writing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was that was amazing. Did you write yes, that out word you. for word. Thank you, absolutely. I wrote that out word for word, and I had to keep I had to keep tight tabs on it too because there was lots of boning going on. Yeah, there's a there's lots of double crossing and high hatting through throughout the movie. Double crossing and high hatting. So I know it's a thing, right? That with like Coen Brothers movies, isn't one of their things that like every word of the script is written before they start shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they rarely deviate from what what they've written. And that's that's really cool, and I think that shines through. It's like sometimes I don't know if that can make a movie better or worse. I think in it, in this situation, it I, like I liked the re repeated lines of dialogue that that probably made it all the way through this. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, it's um, yeah, I think if it depends on how talented of a writer you are, but if you're like the Coen Brothers, it it always works. I feel like I. They rarely miss. Yeah, man. I fucking loved it. As far as like, <laughs> I mean, there's so many, so many like mobster noir movies, right? There's just like, it, there, there's so many of them. And mm -hmm. it, I feel like it's hard. I know it was 1990 and, and it's just like, it's hard to do one right. And I feel like they did it right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah, it was, it was everything you want from a mobster noir movie. Yeah, and it's really in that old classic style, like old Hollywood, but you know, modernized a bit. But it's it's one of the most fast talking high trousers movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's about as fast talking high trousers as it gets. I mean, it to the point where it was comical <laughs> with um with Mink's first real scene. And I it sucks yeah. because like I really wanted more Steve Buscemi. Um, yeah. I, I was, and man, I was really struggling for a while trying to figure out uh, who who the the body was. Um, oh yeah, and when that they, might they go one, back to Miller's Crossing. Be, yeah, that might be the one part of the movie that I'm still a little confused about. Is like, mm -hmm. who killed Mink? Well, did Tom kill? Oh, Mink? Bernie. Bernie killed Mink. Yeah, because he, uh, he. Okay. He calls Tom later on, and he's like, "Hey, we went out to Miller's Crossing." <laughs> And uh, yeah, it turns out you're actually dead. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Well, I thought you could use a little insurance since I'm walking around here." Yeah. Okay. I must have like looked down at my phone or something during that one part of that conversation because I was like, "Man, I fucking I feel like I missed something there." But yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That, that's that's a, kind of what I was assuming, and that it just hadn't been talked about. But now I know it's been talked about. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about this movie is that it there's so much information thrown at you. Like if you like go away for like 
if you like go to the bathroom for a minute, you're going to miss so much <laughs> information. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a, but, but I, but I love that about it. Like I, Hey, and shout out to mayor's secretary, Francis McDormand making an appearance. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, she's married to Joel Cohen. Oh really? Yeah. They've been married since like the mid eighties, I think. Well, that would explain that. I had no idea. Dude, oh my god, I just, I'm sorry, I walked over to Lila to take her collar off, because she, for whatever reason, it's just like Babs, like your cat. Like, whenever I start talking, she, you know, she just starts freaking out, running around, and playing with toys, and, and like, scratching herself, and I don't know what it is. I think it's just our, yeah. our voices, maybe, or something, that, like, rile our pets up, but she started, so I went over to take her collar off, and I, I don't know what happened. I took it off, but it didn't come off all the way. So I, I mm -hmm. kept hearing the jingle, and I was looking down at it just now, and it was still on her somehow. Like, it was unlatched, but it was still hanging on to the top of her. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I did not know they were married. That's awesome. It was so crazy to see her so young. Yeah. Yeah, she's um, yeah, she's really good. Yeah, just like a little cameo <laughs> at the end is, yeah, the sec mayor's secretary. Were they married already at that point? Yeah. Um, she was in their first movie called uh, Blood Simple. And uh, she's been in almost every one of them, I feel like, um, except for Barton, F like a couple here and there. But she was in Raising Arizona and um, Miller's Crossing. And yeah, she's been in a ton of Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, pretty, pretty freaking cool. Lila, get down. You're Sorry, <laughs> she's just going bananas right now. Dude, no, no it's okay. I, I, I loved everything about it. I loved the the constant whimsical police raids. Um, the <laughs> with Tom and the chief of police just having the same conversation, <laughs> just the just the the passe like blase nature of of so many of the raids that were going on. I mean, I know I, I yeah. know it, but I imagine a lot of them were a lot like that, you know, during that time. Yeah, yeah, it's just like random political leaning. Then they're like, oh, I guess we got to go take this down, but nobody really wants to, <laughs> so they're just like, eh, I guess we'll do it now. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, but and going I, back I, to uh, going back to fucking um, uh, uh, Mink, to uh, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Buscemi's character. Man, his first little monologue, like you know, you told me the whole thing about the, 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 they gave him the part because he could talk so fast, and yeah, like uh, it it I don't know how to explain it. Like it it actually kind of bugged me. First of all, it bugged <laughs> me that that I didn't have more scenes with him, but. Um, it almost felt like it was too fast, you know? Yeah. Like, like, uh, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I appreciated <laughs> Steve Buscemi's ability as an actor, but I also mm -hmm. felt like it was just a little too much. I'd like, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm nitpicking here because it was awesome, <laughs> but I was just yeah. like, oh, okay. Like, it was enough to just kind of bring me out of it. It was fast I think it's enough. Just, I think it's just to drive home the fact that he's just a really nervous guy. So it's like, you get that as quickly as possible yeah yeah and i look i i know it was absolutely 100 percent intentional i like i don't know i, I don't know why i don't know why that because it's i'm sure it's a lot of people's like favorite scene from the movie because it's really impressive <laughs> but yeah um, yeah he's really <laughs> anyway i digress so so how do you how do you feel i mean i i loved it i loved every minute of it yeah um yeah i mean th this is one of my favorite coen brothers movies i watching it now because i've seen it a bunch of times but it's the first time I watched it where I was like I was very clear on absolutely everything that was going on um I guess because I've had some time to like realize who all the characters are and all the little 
little intricacies of what's going on. So I was able to appreciate the writing of it a lot more watching it this time. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, it holds up really well. And it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting too, because this is the same year that Goodfellas came out, which, you know, kind of revolutionized the gangster genre, but there's always this little dark horse outlier <laughs> Miller's Crossing that nobody really talks about anymore. Yeah, bummer. Was that, uh, yeah, what an unfortunate year to put this movie out. Yeah, but it's, um, yeah, it's really uh, an in-depth, like, and, I wrote this down too at the end. I had this like epiphany about, you know, like how most gangster movies like like for most gangster movies, the war, the mob war would be like the focus point of the movie, but in this movie it's kind of just the backdrop. It's just kind of going on in the background of the movie. And it's really a movie about uh mob politics for for about 2 hours. Yeah, yeah, and I that's kind of what I love about it is how whimsical all the gang violence is. Like it's not it's not too it's not too into itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just telling a really uh really funny weird <laughs> like prohibition story. <laughs> yeah, and like even all the even all the henchmen deaths, like every time somebody gets killed by a Tommy gun, just the over the top body jittering and like oh, the yeah. shaking like I know they're making fun. They're almost like like it's almost tongue in cheek. They're almost poking fun at yeah. every other noir movie. But cuz it's so over the top and so violent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like the the scene where, um, they, I mean, but all of the all of the super violent scenes were really entertaining. Like the the oh, yeah. one where you're blown away by Leo's athleticism when he hops out <laughs> of his his uh, his mansion upstairs and jumps down with the Tommy gun and shoots the guy through the upstairs window. <laughs> it's just, yeah, and then just, like walks out into the street just somehow with an endless hundred round magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think the next scene, the guy is like, the old man's still an artist with a Tom. With a still an artist with a Tommy gun. Yeah, that was a great line. Yeah, and uh, that that might be my favorite scene in the movie. It's just it's so well done, and uh, like with the record, he's singing "Danny Boy" and he's just smoking a cigar, reading a newspaper in bed. <laughs> and then the reveal of the guys coming in, I love where the they'd already killed the guy and. Uh, the one of the henchmen's just laying on the ground with his cigarette in hand and it lights up the newspaper he's reading it's just it's so beautifully done the editing and the <laughs> cinematography is so good yeah and there, there's something to be said too about like the fact that you said that that the the sort of the gang the gang violence the mob violence is sort of this backdrop this almost borderline comical backdrop to everything going on like yeah you really felt that there was one scene where the dane is questioning um uh, what's her name? Vera. Uh, I just forgot her name. Um, Verna. Uh, Verna. Yeah, he's yeah. he's like interrogating Verna, and two of Leo's guys come in to try to stop him, and you know he's <laughs> and he spins her around, and he he takes them both out, and just sort of like the the guy that survives the first shot, who you know he steps on his hand, and he's looking. To, it's like you've seen so many scenes like that in a lot of these mobster movies, but just the sort of fact that like it's just it's just business as usual, even for the for the for the hitmen guys. Like they accept, <laughs> yeah. they accept going in that this is an absolute possibility, and the guy on the floor, like he's not begging for his life, like nobody's begging for their lives. It's just like, ah, eh, it's just you know, this is just the business, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm about to fucking die, and he's like, God damn it, you almost had me, yeah. you know, just that yeah. that kind of shit. Like it's just so cool. It's just the the absolute like almost apathy toward life and death that I think's why mob movies are so <laughs> interesting to people. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you're right too that there's a 
there's a certain like sarcastic humor about it's taking all those elements and just being like <laughs> making all these mob guys really ethical in principle is like well this is the this is what we chose in life and they're not like they're very like well this is it as opposed to something like the sopranos are goodfellas where everybody's like trying to get out on top as much as I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a really weird juxtaposition with those. <laughs> They're like weirdly, um, I don't know, <laughs> loyal to the life. I get. I, it's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just it. it's just business as usual. Yeah, like and, and uh, really well acted and really well written, obviously. But like I, I Ca the guy that played Casper, I forget the actor's name. Uh, oh, Joe Joe Polito, I think. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Yeah, yeah. He makes the movie for me. He he was He's really so really good, <laughs> and uh, I like Eddie. Yeah, it's all about ethics. It's a serious <laughs> moral question. <laughs> yeah, there were so many quotes. Wait. I just quit writing. I quit writing them down. I even told myself I was like, I'm not gonna spend the back half of this episode just reciting quotes because it's it. Every quote in the movie is great. It's just like I feel like it's like any Coen Brothers movie. There's no reason to sit. We could just turn this into an hour long quotathon, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's so my stomach's been seizing up on me. <laughs> so seizing up good. on me ever since ever since we've been jawing, or since we jawed last time. I'm gonna start <laughs> calling conversations jawed since, uh, since we jawed last. <laughs> Damn yeah, it, we're doing it, so Sumner. We're turning it into a quotathon. We can't it, do it. It might turn. It's it's one of those things too. It's like I didn't even feel the need to write some of those quotes down. They're just burned in my brain at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, but uh, also, I'm gonna start saying when I want to leave somewhere, I'm gonna start saying I, I got to dangle. <laughs> Take your flunky and dangle. <laughs> Take your flunky and dangle. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. So I there mean, were the the uh, the 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 scene where the the cops, you know, as soon as the the city officials and the cops all decide to side with uh, with Casper, and they're shooting up one of Le one of Leo's bars that they think he might be in. They like throw throw some TNT in there, and then they, <laughs> they have the massive shootout. Like it was yeah. it was so funny because something I noticed is especially when there was a lot of firepower going on at once. Like uh, there were a lot of guns firing. Like there was a and I couldn't tell if this was on purpose or if it was just incidental. But there was like a like a lack of damage occurring to the building that should be occurring to the building. Like you got <laughs> yeah. the whole. Like, you've got the whole line of cops, all with the Tommy guns and pistols. I mean, they're firing, like, thousands of rounds every couple of seconds into this building. And, like, barely oh, yeah. anything's happening to the building. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. They're, like, throwing grenades. And then, like, they take off the tarp on one of the trucks. And there's just a giant machine gun. And they're just <laughs> Yeah, they had this the fucking, like, browning 30. Yeah, it was so perfectly over the top. Poking fun yeah. and also being, like, believable enough that it it still left me in the world, you know? That that's the scene too with uh, the Sam Raimi cameo. He's the guy that um, the one guy exits the bar and then he just shoots him point blank. Yeah, that's and Sam Raimi doing shot. the shooting, right? Yeah, and then he gets shot a million times by the machine gun. <laughs> yeah, and does this awesome. really over the top like seizing and then falls to the. It's amazing because <laughs> like if you think about it in terms of the movie, that scene holds no purpose whatsoever because we already know that they're like a. <laughs> It's just a scene for like action's sake, but I love that they threw it in there. It's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and, well, and you get to hear the shootout continuing in the background, adding to the kind of just like blase nature of the gang violence in the background oh. when Tom's in there talking to Casper. It's like it's just it's almost like that whole scene is just setting it up so that it can be in the background during their conversation. 
Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is great. Yeah, and I love that he's in the mayor's office, like trying to, <laughs> he's like running things. It ain't easy. <laughs> it ain't easy running things. I think that's the point of this whole movie. Well, and so let's, I want to, I want to jump toward the end for a second. I want to talk about sort of okay. how, how things wrap up for Tom, right? Yeah. So I guess my question for you, and maybe that's sort of the point is that we don't know, but you, you question throughout the movie kind of what his end goal is. Like, I feel like there are moments right. where he genuinely wants to escape with mm -hmm. uh with verna and thinks and thinks there's a way out but the way he spins it in the end is that it was all you know it's just him being smart speaking of which smart the whole dude the dane the guy that played the dane was great oh. he was fucking perfect. oh i love him perfect yeah, he's bad one of the, guy yeah one of the best characters in the movie and he just he's so he's so over the top in a way that's just purely enjoyable like it doesn't it is it's over the top when you're watching it but it doesn't it fits perfectly with his character. He's just like evil henchman, bad guy, but he, he's really not when you think about it. He's just protecting um, uh, Casper the whole time. Yeah, he's, and just, he realizes, he's just loyal to Casper. And he realizes Tom is like, he's like, oh, he's going to con us the whole time. He like reads him correctly from the beginning. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Yeah, everybody's so goddamn smart. Everybody's so <laughs> goddamn smart. That whole scene in the there, car was so good. Yeah. Then I realized these two geniuses never even saw the bike. This is, yeah, you're right. It is turning into a quote. <laughs> I, it's, I knew it would be so easy for it to happen. I was like, it's just, we, we got to be careful. Ev everything everybody says is so fucking hilarious. I don't know why. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, that's, that's Cohen Brothers, man. Like just the few movies that I've seen. Like I know, I know there are a few I still need to see, but every, every one, the characters and the writing is just awesome. Yeah, and the humor is just so, it's so subtle, but it's so, like, out front at the same time. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, just the littlest things that people do make me, like, howl with laughter. Yeah, man. And you know what's funny? You're talking about your favorite scene being Leo Leo's shootout, like, at his mansion or whatever. Um, yeah. My favorite scene in the whole fucking movie was at the, very close to the beginning when uh, the Rug, the dude Rug, is dead. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm assuming they called him Rug because of his hairpiece. It's just a yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. but Rug Daniel. Um, yeah, but they find you know the little boy find that scene with the boy and the dog and the hairpiece was just an incredible like minute long of filmmaking. Just these simple yeah. shots, like no dialogue, just all like atmosphere and angle, and it's like it just mm -hmm. is just it just in that minute just proves how how much the Coen brothers are sort of masters of their crafts like that you could yeah you just don't it's just it's so good I, I don't know what else to say yeah yeah it just fits perfectly and I, I do love that we know what happens in that moment because everybody else is talking about why would they take his hair that's 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 weird why would they do that and it's just yeah, a, give give the audience a leg up <laughs> that's a smart move yeah, and then you just realize that like the little kid just took or the little kid or the dog took the hair and it just but everybody's like contemplating it. It's like what does that mean? What what message are they trying to send? Right. And there's that duality too, right? The other the other so there's there's like two things, right? There's that and then there's also the fact that at the end you find out that that the whole reason rug is like cuz every little part of all the double crossing and all the backstabbing, it's also complicated and clearly well thought out and Everything yeah. about it's really, really intentional. But then there's the little elements of chaos that you can't control. 
and two yeah. being both of them involving rug right one being that you know the hair <laughs> the hairpiece was just a little boy who found him but then also the fact that it was just mink killing rug because he was paranoid and it's yeah. like just that little bit of chaos to all of the structure of the plot makes it hu just humanizes it more it's not this yeah you know super into itself plot i mean it is to a certain extent but like that's almost adding a human element to it that's necessary yeah. to make it believable yeah, it, yeah it's these two mob guys just having an excuse to fight each other really <laughs> like yeah just a v yeah, but, okay, for power wait, so, so i got sidetracked like my my question with the end of the movie is like what do you think mm -hmm. i know that it, maybe it doesn't matter and that's kind of the point but do you think that do you think that Tom's motivations changed throughout the entire process and he just kind of rolled with it until he knew a way out or do you think or or saw through the trees that he could that he could shape it one way or the other or do you think this was always kind of his goal and it was just true loyalty to Leo Yeah I I think there's an opportunist side of him I think beginning he's probably thinking about uh, turning on Leo because he's upset with the situation, but I think pretty quickly he realizes that Casper really doesn't have the makings to run the town like he thinks he does. So, and uh, even uh, Verna has this one quote. He's like, "I thought you said Leo and you were through," and then she, he said, or he says something like, "I'm done with him. It's not the same thing." <laughs> he's like, so he's like, I think there's an element of him that was always like trying to win back favor with Leo because. I think he felt guilty about the whole Verna situation, like, all the way through. Like, he did it, but he was, like, he felt guilty and he wanted to do right by Leo in the end a little bit. Got it. it so, yeah, I think there's there's a bit of him that uh, wanted to, uh, yeah, wanted to make amends in the only way that he could. Yeah. I right, man, I... It sucks. Like I really don't even know what else to t to say about it. Like I I loved it. <laughs> I loved all yeah. of it. Great movie. Yeah, and I I do love that. Um, so you got like the two head guys, which are um played by Albert Finney and uh, Joe Polito, and they're just you know big ego dudes, just like swinging their big dicks around. But they're kind of portrayed as they're not that smart compared to the other guys in the movie. Like they oh, wait, talk a big are you game. About, are you talking about um, uh, Casper's henchman? No, 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 Casper himself and uh, Leo. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah, they're kind of like they they talk a big game and they like know what they want, but they also don't really like. I think even Leo makes a <laughs> comment like at the very beginning of the movie. He's like, "Well, I'm not that well read," and he's like, "Well, you better start or something like that at the very beginning." Yeah, yeah. And uh, but really, like the two masterminds are the Dane and Tom. Those are the ones that are really running the show because they're the ones planning and coming up with like ways to outsmart each other, <laughs> and uh, you know because they're so loyal to their uh, to their dudes. Yeah, they're loyal to their figureheads. Yeah, there, there is an interesting theory which I think I I completely believe now. Um, but I was reading something the other day. Uh, talking about this movie and uh, it has to do with the Dane and Mink and uh, Bernie like that whole uh, dynamic okay and uh, the theory is is that uh, the Dane and Mink are lovers and are 
you know, like together. And then Bernie is a guy that uh, Mink uh, starts seeing and like, you know, having a relationship with. And that's why the Dane is so Ooh. pissed at him the whole time. Oh, I and, can totally see that. There was one there, scene or part of dialogue where I thought they might have been alluding to that, and then I quickly lost track of it. Yeah, I think they allude to it a couple times, and there's even a quote where um, uh, Tom is talking to Casper, and he's like, uh, you know, the the Dane is setting you up with Mink, and he's like, oh, he wouldn't do that. He's like, uh, he's like, oh, everybody loves money. And then Tom goes, is like, well, there's that uh, wild card when love is involved. And he's clearly talking about Mink and the Dane. And yes, yeah, dude, that was, okay, that's the line that jumped out at me. That's crazy, because I, I thought about that for a second, and they never touched on it again. I was like, okay, maybe I just was reading it wrong. But mm. that's crazy. That that doesn't even sound like a conspiracy. That sounds like it's legit what was being yeah. alluded to. Yeah, just the literal text. And, like, they're, yeah, they're just, like, passing things when Tom was talking to Mink at the beginning, and he's like... Uh, Sounds like you got yourself a new boy with Bernie Birnbaum, and then he gets all freaked out like he knows something's up. <laughs> yeah, crazy, man. That's awesome. Which which is an interesting, and this is kind of a sad thing, but I, I just read, the, so the guy that plays the Dane, um, uh, what's his name, J.E. Freeman, was a, was a gay man in real life, and he died of AIDS, uh, I think, uh, seven or eight years ago. That is and, a fucking uh, bummer. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. And uh, and Joe Polito too. He's a gay man, which uh, I didn't know until till today. Crazy. Yeah, doesn't really add well, much, but not, I just thought not it was crazy. But yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> hey, there you go, man. There's some there's some subtext to the uh, literal text. Yeah, yeah, but I I I really love that uh that theory, and it's it's backed up pretty heavily by certain lines of dialogue, and it it definitely adds more like weight and. Uh, depth to the to the story that's going on it's like oh that's they don't come right out and tell you that but it's an important piece of information if you're paying attention yeah man just adds to the masterpieceical nature of it yeah and that's the thing too i love about this movie is like there are little moment little moments i come back and I'd be like oh i didn't even notice that and it's like that's yeah that's one of the things that's so so cool about this movie yeah damn dude thank you thank you for sharing it with me like it was awesome <laughs> big fan Oh, I, I did want to talk about. Actually, I, I said the Leo scene was my favorite scene. Actually, I think my favorite scene uh, is when uh, what what are their names? Tic Tac and Frankie take Tom up to a Casper's club. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew you were gonna say it to beat him up. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he's like, I got you money for a uh, Lazar, <laughs> and, and he's like, thanks, and he basically refuses his money, and then they <laughs> get into the and. Uh, Frankie, the guy, comes up to like beat Tom, and <laughs> Tom's like, "Hold on!" So he takes his coat off and then slams him across the face with the chair. And he just he looks at him in disbelief for a moment. He's like, "Jesus, Tom!" Come on, man! And then he just shuffles out of the room like a toddler, and then go gets goes get tic tac <laughs> the other guy. Yes, that was, it was so good, man. It almost it felt like a like a scene from Family Guy or something. Yeah. Oh, and there's a cool piece of trivia that I was I was saving until we did the the last part. So, um, so Tom takes significant beatings throughout the movie. Like he gets beaten up. I feel like yeah, almost every scene. Yeah, he gets scene. his ass handed to him. <laughs> so uh, somebody broke it down. The amount of times he gets punched in the movie. <laughs> no way. So apparently he gets punched in the face twelve times, and then he gets punched in the kidneys and stomach. 20 times 
Yeah, and then he gets man. kicked in the face twice, thrown down a flight of stairs twice, beaten up with a purse, then tripped in a full sprint and nearly strangled to death. So he gets <laughs> fucked up in this movie. <laughs> Just another day in the life, you know? Yeah, it's 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 what you accept. That's fucking then, great. Um, you know what? I, uh, one little thing I noticed, not to interrupt you, uh, the dude that, that was the giant henchman that he hits over the face with the chair, uh, I, I recognized him from, from one other thing. And uh, I'm sure yeah. he's been in other stuff, but I noticed uh, the the episode of The Office where, I don't know yeah. if you remember this one, yeah. where there's the insurance salesman. That's one of my who, least favorite episodes, too. Dude, it's where... so bad. But that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mafia the, guy. Uh, the, the guy that they think is a mafia guy, the insurance salesman <laughs> or whatever. It was just They're such a to... funny connection to make. <laughs> and they're trying to order like the gabagool at the restaurant or something. Sir, we don't carry gabagool. <laughs> I did want to. Oh, and there's um, there's a scene with Bernie where um, early on in the movie where he just shows up in Tom's apartment and he um, he says something to uh, Tom. He's like um, he's talking about his sister in a really like fucked up way. He's like. <laughs> He's like saying, he's like, oh, she's quite a twist. Uh, she gets her hooks on you yet. And he's like saying all this fucked up shit about his sister. And then he drops this really weird piece of information where he's like, yeah. you know, she tried to teach me a thing or, thing or two uh, back in the day. And uh, and then he says this line, he's like, um, she's had this crazy crackpot idea about trying to save me from my friends, which could be a reference to dude, his no that is another fucking reference to seriously dude that's not a conspiracy at this point like that's absolutely yeah. this like subtext that was going on yeah which yeah that adds a uh, another layer to the movie which is really cool and for the record i haven't even said anything john turturro's fucking amazing like he is in everything yeah he's so great in this God, mr sneaky yeah, yeah, sneaky we- yeah, we got to talk about Bernie for a second because he is such a fuckface <laughs> the entire yeah. movie. <laughs> he's, dude, John Turturro is great at playing a fucking fuckface. Yeah, he's just a whiny little bitch like the whole movie. <laughs> he's always, uh, he'll, he'll show up and he'll talk shit about everybody and then as soon as it's like turned back, he's the only guy that reacts realistically to about to being killed. <laughs> Yeah, right. And then and then he gets really butthurt about it and is like, You're the only he's talking to Tom, he's like, You're the only one that knows. What was what was the thing that he says? He's like he's like, I'm trying to make you squirm and you're ruining it. You're ruining. And when you smart me, it's ruins <laughs> when it. you smart me, it ruins it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah it's, he, uh, it's it's like the subtle humanization of all of these like larger than life characters is what makes it so entertaining. Yeah. And uh, I think Tom like has his, his moment of weakness out in the woods with um, with Bernie. He like it's not so much that he's sparing Bernie. It's like he doesn't want to, you know, do it to a uh, uh, fuck up Verna in that moment. Yeah, he loves Verna. So, so yeah, he lets him go, but he realizes he knows it's the wrong move because he's gonna come back, and he's not surprised at all when he shows up in his apartment and tells him this yeah. whole speech about. It's like you know, if I stayed around, you know. That might not be as bad for me as it is for you. <laughs> yeah, he's just dude, yeah, he's it, just a dick. He he was perfect. It, it was it was so well acted. And it's funny, I hadn't seen the actor that played Leo. The last thing I remember seeing him in was uh th- that movie Big Fish with Ewan McGregor. Yeah, where yeah, he's, he's the, the dad. <laughs> the, the dad. Yeah, it was, it was weird seeing him in this because it's the only movie <laughs> I could remember him being in that I'm that yeah. I've seen at least. 
Yeah, and Leo is such a such a sweetheart. Like throughout the whole movie, he's like trying to like uh, he's like in love with Verna, even though she's you know she basically is a con artist. Like everything that Tom says about her is pretty much true. Yeah, <laughs> makes her sound more conniving than she might actually be. But you know, she is like working one over on him, and he's like actually in love with her. So yeah, man. Like, it's like Tom almost kind of pities Leo because he's like such a seems like such a nice guy, even though he's like a, you know, <laughs> murdering gangster <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, dude, it really it was one big epic beautiful bonorama. Yeah, one big bonorama. <laughs> I really just want to yeah. do my whole spiel again, but I know it'd be <laughs> over the top. Ah, just do it one one more time for me. Okay, I'll do it one more time for you. And, and you need to fact check it, though, because I'm going to go fast. You know, fast talking high trousers. Fast talking high trousers. <laughs> so you got to make sure. Brain. It, put one right in his brain. But yeah, but make sure that I'm on point here, okay? So, okay. so Bernie's boning Casper. Casper's mm-hmm. boning Leo. Leo's trying to bone Casper. But Casper mm-hmm. wants to bone Tom for trying to bone him. Verna's boning everybody just to keep Bernie <laughs> from getting boned. Tom's yeah. boning Verna. But by doing mm-hmm. so, is also secretly boning Leo, while the cops mm-hmm. and city officials are also secretly trying to bone Leo. But Tom's also boning Eddie Dane and Mink by proxy, and then mm-hmm. Bernie tries to bone <laughs> Tom by making him bone Casper. But then Eddie mm-hmm. Dane tries to bone Tom by taking him to Miller's Crossing. Turns out, Tom's convinced <laughs> Casper that, the, that he needs to bone the Dane, and together they're going to bone Mink. But Mink's already been boned, so Tom tries to bone Bernie for trying to bone him. But Bernie ends up boning Casper, which frees up Tom to bone Bernie, which bones Verna, in turn, boning himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's the whole movie in a nutshell. I'm telling you, man, I need to start a petition to get the IMDb plot synopsis <laughs> replaced to that. Yeah, and you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you got it all, and like, and it's and when you watch it, I think when you're really paying attention, it's it's really not that complicated. But I, I think the first two times I watched this, and I watched this when I was like in high school, I guess. But I, I remember just being like overwhelmed. I'm like, shit, I don't know who anybody is. I don't know anybody's names. <laughs> like I forgot who Mink was because he's only got one scene. Yeah. So you really have Which to. I'm like, still pissed about. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. You really got to like pay attention <laughs> a lot in this, but it, it's worth it if you're you're into it. Uh, yeah. There, there are a couple more scenes I wanted to talk about because there's so many, okay. so many good ones. Um, but uh, oh, so th- yeah, the whole thing with Drop Johnson, which never really clicked in my head for a long time. I was like, what is he? He he holds some weight to the. He's the boxer guy that they yeah, bring. His screaming match was freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of like the most surreal scenes in the movie. But um, and like. I, it's painfully obvious now, like what what was happening. But um, yeah, Bernie going to he's selling the information about the fixed fight to to drop Johnson, and he's the big dumb guy, so he drops two grand on it. So it's ver- he it's obvious he knows what's up. And yeah. So, and so I was like, where are you getting that information from? And uh, yeah, and then they pin it. But yeah, the, that scene where uh, takes him back to Casper's place, and then uh. uh the Dane is like trying to choke out um, Tom because he killed. He thinks he killed me. God, there's so much to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It got a little. It got a little uh, clustered right there. Yeah, there's a. <laughs> but he's 
he's trying to choke out Tom because he thinks he killed Mink out at Miller's Crossing. But there's that shot with uh, Casper sitting at the uh, in his chair by the fire with like the fire burning behind him and him like clutching the uh, the little uh, the, little shovel oh, the thing. Fire poker. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was just like. A great shot, <laughs> just his. Yeah, you know, it really was just showing the, ma the madness of the scene. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I always feel bad for the Dane getting, uh, getting killed. <laughs> you know, he did didn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, think about how many people he's fucking killed. Like they all yeah, deserve it. Yeah, I mean they're all psychopaths. <laughs> you know, they're just crazy people. <laughs> yeah, but they've got ethics. It's a moral. They got he, they got ethics. ethics. Well, they do in Casper's camp. <laughs> they do, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. What else did I want to talk about? Uh, oh, the, yeah, the scene where they take him out to Miller's Crossing with the guys, and you know, the Dane beat the shit out of Frankie and Tic Tac, which I just love their names. I just like saying them. Yeah, Frankie and Tic Tac. Um, but yeah, the scene where they're walking and like trying to find the body, which is which is already an insane thing. He's like setting them up for failures, like very easily could not find the body even if he did kill him yeah and uh but uh frankie is just singing this beautiful opera ballad in the middle of the frankie woods. singing i was trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out if it was the soundtrack or if it was somebody singing i couldn't figure it out no no he's just singing he's just got this wonderfully angelic voice <laughs> he's just singing out in the woods and i love the part where dana's like there's nothing out here and then just throws him to the ground and then he looks over and just sees Frankie skipping through the woods while he's singing, which I just think is a funny image. <laughs> yeah, and then they find the body, and it's like, hey, I told you to shoot him in the head, not blow his stinking face off. Yeah, not in the face. Yeah, that was a visceral scene, man. I thought he was done for. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh... Yeah, it's a confusing moment, too, because you're like, what the fuck? That's so... Like, you think it's like you're being fucked with for a minute. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was. Man, the ball's on Tom to tell Leo that he was bone in Verna. And Leo knows how yeah. hard it must have been for him and respects him for it, but has to react primally. And, yeah. I mean, which is that probably was like the nicest. Shit. It's probably the nicest thing Tom does in the whole movie, was be honest with him. Yeah. Like, and the like, whole yeah. time, really, I mean, I guess Leo's really the only person he's ever truly honest with. Yeah, yeah, because even um, with uh, with Verna, he kind of yeah he screws her over big time at the end, and uh, like doesn't really have that much loyalty to her. <laughs> he doesn't really treat no, her with that much like respect. No, it's like he did so much for her throughout the movie, and then at the end, basically, he's just like fuck it, like I got to do what's best for me. And I wonder too if it's just like he feels guilty that he loves her so much, even though that it was you know Leo's girl. So I don't know how much of that is just projection, <laughs> how much he hates himself a little bit, but I don't know. That could be reading into it too much. Yeah. But, uh, I don't but know, yeah, man. at the end, it's it's interesting that he ends up deciding to kill Bernie because he doesn't really need to at that point. Like, it doesn't benefit him in any way other than purely revenge. Like, he just hates Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. It's... it. <sighs> It's a little frustrating when you think about what he went through to keep him alive, but it's like he's just tired of fucking dealing with him. Yeah, but everything could have worked out with him and Verna, and Leo probably would have accepted him back. You know, the same, but even at the end, he's like, nope, we're done, goodbye. <laughs> he just like yeah. he can't even forgive himself a little bit. 
So he's just like, yeah. It seems like that's what it is. That. Yeah, he's he's got to walk away because he can't even he can't even fucking forgive himself. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful movie. I love it. Great, and great I, movie film. What's your uh, what's your rating? What are you thinking on this one? Oh, uh, zero. Come on, it's a it's a fucking classic, dude. And it sucks movie. too because I know I know mobster noir. I mean, Coen Brothers movies should be for everybody, but I know the mobster noir genre isn't for everybody. Like, yeah. I fucking love these movies, so I'm 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 with you. I'm gonna give it zero because there was nothing that I didn't <laughs> like about it. And I yeah, I don't. Is this this isn't our first perfect score, is it? Uh, I think Dog Day Afternoon got a perfect score from us. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Well, this is up there. It deserves a perfect score. It's almost like you can't really drink that much anyway. You kind of have to pay it. Yeah, pay yeah. A lot of Again, <laughs> adding even even another yet another layer to our rating system. How much do you need to drink to actually be able to pay attention to the plot properly? Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's got all the uh, the crazy uh, you know, action stuff. Which they're the sound design in this movie is is so good. Like just even like the little details of like people like walking on the floor like when tom's barefoot and he's like running through the little uh uh downstairs area when he like jumps down and uh yeah. like the gun slamming on the floor like the coen brothers like the thing i always take away from their movies is the sound design is always perfect in every movie that they do yeah i've always been impressed by it and it just yeah it sucks you in and i i will go out on a limb and say that its sound is more important to a movie than camera work I will Whoa, die on that that's hill. a big that's a big hill to die on my friend i'd like really layered uh multi-dimensional sound is like i can get sucked into any movie that like has a lot going on there and uh no i mean shit. i i think i think camera work always helps and this movie has beautiful camera work like it's insane but uh yeah that's that's another element to it yeah i'll keep just, that in i'll keep that in mind in the future and might uh put that hill to the test yeah, when you really start paying attention to like the different layers of things that they're putting in, because you know they have to do everything in post, so every little detail of sound that you hear was methodically thought out in a way. And when you yeah. pay attention to it, it you will never enjoy a movie ever again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, just, that's be thinking about crazy. the sound. <laughs> I don't need it'll any make joy. You hate, it'll make you hate Christopher Nolan movies way more than you already do. God, yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, if you guys have made it this far, thanks for thanks for listening to another episode of One Guy's Seen It. We actually, thanks to Sumster over here, now have a live Instagram at One Guy's Seen It. So get out there, people, and follow us on the gram. Some crazy yeah. content coming your way. We got the YouTubes, we got the Facebook, Instagram probably do something at some point eventually yeah i'm kind of pissed i went through i went through all this hubbub to try to figure out how to get this podcast on google podcasts turns out Mm -hmm. uh google Podcasts has been in the process of like no longer existing it's being absorbed into youtube so Mm -hmm. like i've been i've been doing what youtube recommended since we started this podcast which is if you want your podcast distributed on youtube just to upload your own videos and put them in a playlist and label that playlist as a podcast and then it'll aggregate properly Mm. to like youtube music and all that stuff that's what i've been doing well since youtube is now absorbing google podcasts you can now connect your rss feed directly to your youtube channel as a playlist so i basically don't have to do what i've been doing but because i've already started doing it like i can't Mm -hmm. 
not do it anymore. So it's just so dumb. Like if we'd started this yeah. podcast like five months later, it like it would just be <laughs> one click and it would be everywhere. People would want to listen. God but damn uh, it. so so is so is our plight. So is our plight. <laughs> <laughs> but all all you listeners out there make it worth it. Thanks for putting up with us. My name is yeah. Jeff. My name is Sumner. And, uh, and remember, every movie's better with at least one beer. Every movie is better with at least one beer, except this one. You don't need a beer for this movie. Except this one. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, this is one of those movies I could see being like like the uh, the film version of like a really great novel. Like, that's what I always get that vibe with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't even know if it would be better as a novel, but I think it could be just as good. Yeah. But there's so many moments that, like, like uh, the guy screaming at the end, I was like, you can't write that into a book and have it feel the same as that. <laughs> yeah. No. But anyway, um, that's it for us. We'll see you next week on One Guy's Seen It. Peace. Peace and love. One guy's seen it, the other guy hasn't. First guy's gonna tell the second guy all about it. While they both get drunk.